If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Again, for those of you who are visiting with us, uh, we are completing our study on the book of Daniel. We're in the last chapter, chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. Our topic this morning is, when you can't know it all, at least know the one who does. And I'm sure that's your desire as well. Can you ever know it all? Well, some people, as we well know, think they do. And uh, we call them know-it-alls, right? Know-it-alls. But we certainly want to have a relationship with the one who knows everything. In fact, as we read Scripture carefully, we learn that God has decreed it, God has planned it so that you and I will never know it all. So don't try. Know as much as you can about right things, but you'll never know it all because there's only one being in the universe that does, and obviously that is God. In Romans chapter 11, he tells us, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. You just can't know it all. Only God does. In verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has, who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, from God comes all things and through him he is the creator. And to him are all things. That's just not an extra verse. That is a verse that really puts our lives together. He is the creator of all things. And they've come through Christ. And the reason why he has done that is so that all the praise and the honor and the glory goes back to him. You see, really, we're insignificant. But God has made us significant because he calls us to become his children. Life is not about us, as we often say. It is about God. In Deuteronomy 29, 29 is another supporting text of that, as you well know from the Old Testament. The secret things, God says, belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. The purpose is that we may observe all the words of the law. Amazing passage. You see, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Oh, how we would wish at times that we could see the end from the beginning the way God does. But God says no. That's not best for us. It's not good at all. And we're not God, so it's an impossibility. So he tells us there are things that are secret to us. They belong to the Lord our God. Obviously he knows, but he keeps them a secret. But the things revealed to us, as he has given to us in the scriptures, the things that he has revealed to us, he says, know them. Know them because we need to observe and carefully guard the things that God has taught us and is teaching us and will continue to teach us. You see, it really is insignificant what I think. (laughs) Really, I've come to the realization not a lot of people ask me what I think, and that's good. Because we need to ask God. And God has told us very clearly in Scripture what He thinks. And He's God, so that it's the best. It's the best for us. 
The background of these verses, as many of you know, because you've been here through our studies of these 12 chapters, Daniel has been ordered in chapter 12. You see, Daniel really is a recorder. Uh, From the very chapter 1, he's writing what he has been seeing in dreams and visions, because that's the way God communicated in the Old Testament. So Daniel, we call him a prophet, but actually he's a recorder of God. And the things that God is revealing, and he's writing them down for an encouragement for the people of Israel because they're in captivity, as well as for our very own day. He's a marvelous young man because he was taken captive from Jerusalem by the Babylonians when he was a teenager and taken to the city of Babylon. And there he lived in a different culture, different language, and he served God. In fact, God made him so well-known and so gifted that even the king recognized what a unique young man he was. You know, Daniel served until he was in his 90s in two foreign administrations. That is unusual within itself, especially in that day, because when another empire came in in and defeated the present empire, then all the administrators were killed. Daniel survived and survived well, and they noticed that he was something special of this God of the universe. And we have read of many of those things. Not only did he tell, he recorded what the next empire would be, the Babylonians and then the Medo-Persians, but they had not come on the scene yet when Daniel began to write. Isn't that unusual? Writing What's happening in the future? No one can do that except God because he knows the end from the beginning. And after the Medo-Persian Empire, he said, then it will be Greece. And he names it. He even speaks of the kings even before his time. This is really why this book is so unique. There is none like it because it's God's word. God knows the end from the beginning. So he has the ability, obviously, as God to enable natural man such as Daniel to write and record these things. And you look at it and you say, wow, historically those things came true. It never missed anything. That's the uniqueness of the Word of God. And Daniel records things still yet future to us. Many of you, I'm sure, as you've maybe attempted to read the book of Revelation and say, wow, that's an interesting book. But Daniel even speaks to that day and he talks about an antichrist. He talks about the 666 in the sense that, even though he doesn't mention 666, but he talks about the Antichrist, the person who is against Christ, known as the beast. Some of you probably have read some of the books that have been out recently in regards to that. Well, Daniel comes to this final chapter, and God says, (laughs) interestingly, Daniel, this is all I'm going to give you. Shut up the book, seal it, and preserve it for a later time. Can you imagine right in the midst of all these prophecies, God says, that's it. That's all you're going to get. (laughs) That's the reason why it's so important to us today. Let me give you two things that I think are going to be really important for us this morning as we talk about these final verses. Have you ever been in a trial and you'd say, I wonder, God, how long is this going to last? I don't know that I can hold out much longer. How long will this suffering go on? Secondly, what's the purpose in suffering? Why are there trials? Why, why does God talk about trials so much? You know, why can't we just be rid of them? Many people see no purpose to the suffering. We're going to talk about that this morning. So really the big point is this. 
the follower of Christ, you and I as disciples of Christ, shall live without knowing it all. Don't waste your time trying to know it all. Because you're not. I'm not. You'd say, well, God, this trial would be just a little bit, if you just let me see the end result. And God says, no way. Because God desires us, you and I as believers, to live by faith in the one who does know it all. God says, you can trust me. You see, it's always life here on earth before we get to heaven as believers is a, is a, a process. It is a journey of learning to trust God. You see, when you really trust a person, you don't have to have all the answers. You see this with children. They have so much trust in a parent. This is the reason why parenting the right way, God's way, is so important. They have so much trust. They follow you anywhere. They believe anything you tell them. That's the reason why, one of the reasons we're called the children of God, because God says, I'm not going to tell you everything. How many times did my dad say, and I said to our children, you're just not old enough to understand. Well, God sometimes <laughs> says to us, you just do not have the ability to understand. It's a secret, but you can trust me. That's a wonderful journey, folks. It's a wonderful journey. I am so thankful over these 40-plus years of journeying with God that he did not tell me things that lie in the future that were going to affect Anita and I and our family. We were not strong enough to handle it. So I rejoice, and you rejoice in the things that God has not told us. But in that relationship and in this journey, we trust Him. Lord, I come to the place, I don't have to know how this is going to work out. Because you have already said, all things work together for good to them that love Christ. Yeah, I love God. Well, let's get into it then. Sounds somewhat interesting, doesn't it? Let's talk about the time out, because this book really is built around the nation of Israel. What is Israel's lifespan? Why is Israel God's chosen people? What did he want to do? Why did he want them to respond the way that he recorded it? Well, God chose a nation to make him known to the world. Oh, wow, did Israel miserably fail. And still are failing today, by the way. And so God is, because he has a covenant, he has a promise with Israel. I will never leave thee nor forsake you. I will in the end times, I will change your heart. I will change your heart so that you will love me with all of your heart, mind, and soul. You will be the children that I've always wanted you to be. And you and I will live in the kingdom that we call the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And you will rule and reign over this earth. You and I as believers, we learn in the latter part of this verse, will rule and reign with them. Well, let's begin at Daniel chapter 12, because in these verses, we're going to see a time element regarding Israel's suffering. If I can understand why God puts a time limit to it, then I can understand why God tells me I will not suffer forever, and neither will you. Well, let's take a look at verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing. There's two other beings here. From the former verses, we know them to be angels. There was one angel on this bank of the river Tigris, and the other on the bank of that river. So there's an angel on each bank of the river Tigris. 
And verse 6, And one angel said to the man dressed in linen, Every indication here from verses 10 or chapters 10 and 11 is that this is Christ. You'd say, wait a minute, it can't be Christ because Christ hasn't been born yet. This is what we're celebrating. His birth was much later. Well, remember, Jesus Christ is God. There's a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what we see here in Daniel chapter 12 is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. You say, oh, wow, thank you. What's that mean? Well, incarnate from the Latin means flesh. Before Christ came in the flesh, there were appearances of him. In the Old Testament, it was known as the, the definite article there, the angel of the Lord. And so this is no doubt one of them. And so in verse 6, and one angel said to the man dressed in linen, that is, the angel of the Lord Christ, who was above the waters of the river. And this angel has a question. So here we have an account where an angel is asking the Lord Jesus a question. It's a good one. How long will it be until the end of these wonders? How long will Israel suffer? How long will Israel be the dirt of the earth? How long will they be beaten and taken captive and scattered? How long will it be? So the angel is asking the Lord about these wonders. Well, what are these things? Well, just for a moment, come back with me to the first three verses of chapter 12 as a review, and he will tell us what he's talking about here. In verse 1, now at that time, Michael, the great prince, he's the kind of the guardian of the nation of Israel as an angel, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, Daniel, your people, who are they? It's Israel, it's Jewish people. And there will be a time of distress. So Christ is giving us information here that there is coming a time for Israel beyond Daniel's day in which there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. That goes beyond our own day. There is a time yet coming for the nation of Israel in which two-thirds of that nation will be wiped away within three and a half years. The latter half of the tribulation period, as many of you know it, Jacob's time of trouble, the the tribulation hour, as others have said. And so there still lies that time. You see, everything in the world revolves around God's plan for Israel. Most Gentiles don't like that because we don't like Judaism being the center of all things. Now, Judaism, by and part, is a religion, but we're talking about Jewish people here. And you can mark out world history carefully, accurately, by seeing how Israel is responding to their God. And at this particular time in history, Israel still disobeys. Israel crucified Christ. You and I also crucified Christ because of our sinfulness. But they were the ones that stood in the street and said, Crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon our children. And so it has been. 
And so we see today as a nation, even though they are an entity on the world scene, they have no relationship with God. But that's going to change. And how is God going to change Israel's heart to call upon him? How is God going to orchestrate that? Well, he still has planned a time of tribulation, a time of distress for the nation of Israel, far greater than the time of World War II with Hitler, in which God's going to use that time of distress to Israel will fall on their knees and cry out and say, He is the one that we crucified, but He is our Messiah. And God will change the heart of Israel in a moment. Wow. That's neat, isn't it? That's the same thing God does for you and me, isn't it? There was a time in our life that God brought us to the place where He open and took away the scales from our eyes of the blindness and thinking that we had the world by a tail and we could do all things and we could manage life ourselves and we could make everything work. We just need a little more time, better job, more money, more beautiful wife, a more loving husband, and life would be great. But it never happens, does it? About the time we think it does, that we have it in our hand, it's like the wind that blows away. And we start all over again. You know of people who just start over and over and over and over and over. Always expecting the next job, the next marriage, whatever it is. It's going to be okay. No, it's only okay in Christ. This is what we're learning here. Because he goes on to say in the latter part of verse 1 of Daniel 12, And at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book. That's a reference to the, the book of election, the book of life. God has, before the foundations of the world, who understands it? Not I. Maybe you do, but I doubt it. God has chosen because we're all sinners. None of us would ever turn to Christ if Christ did not come and awaken us and cause us to lift our eyes to him. Well, this is what he does as a nation. He says they will be rescued. In verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. That's a resurrection. These to everlasting life. Those who are written in the book, they will, be, they will be raised to everlasting life. But not everybody's in the book. So, And the others, well, it's to disgrace. They are resurrected. You just don't die and cease to exist. When you physically die, he says here, for those who are not in the book, they will be resurrected to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight... Those who are believers will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What are we going to be doing in heaven? That's pretty clear. I don't find anywhere in heaven where we're riding on little fluffy clouds. I don't know of any harps that we'll be playing. I'm glad because I'm not much of a musician. But I'll tell you something much better. And it's better than any human being could imagine. You and I will spend eternity with the capacity to worship our God. You'd say, oh man, that is yucky. That's only because you don't know him. You see, for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I can't think of any greater delight than to spend eternity knowing our God and praising him, thanking him for who he is for who he is. I can't think of anything greater than that. 
And neither can you as a believer. would say, that would be great. I don't care about gold. Don't care about how many rooms in my mansion. And that's debatable by text. But anyway, the issue is, I will be with my Lord. I will never cease to be able to enjoy Him and rejoice with Him. That's what Daniel is telling us here. And he says the capacity to do that in verse 3. The capacity to do that seemingly is based upon the fact of what we're doing now. Our salvation is not based on what we do now. <laughs> salvation is once and for all, forever. But what capacity will I have to worship God? Well, you develop your capacity today by what? Shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We understand that stars have different brightnesses. Perhaps God is enlightening us here. For those who are faithful, they will have a much larger capacity. I don't know about you, but I would love to have the largest capacity possible for me to worship God. Now, sadly to say, you have to turn the coin over a little bit and you have to say, well, what about those who are truly born again and really don't enjoy worshiping? Well, my friend, change. (laughs) You're missing out on something that is great. You see, to worship God is you've got to forget yourself. And you've got to say it's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. Well, come with me to verse 7, if you would. So we're back in the text now in 12.7. I, Daniel, heard the man dressed in linen, the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ here, who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. Obviously an indicator of God the Father. That it would be. Now here's the answer. How long will Israel suffer before they are redeemed? What's the time element? Look here. It would be for a time, times, and half a time. You'd say, well, that helps. I don't know of a clock that gives time, times, and half a time. Well, as we studied earlier, the Jewish people understood that. A time was a year, times two, that's three and half, that's three and a half years. Isn't that amazing? Daniel talks about the 70th week. It's seven years long, and he's talking about here three and a half, and it's the latter three and a half. So... He says that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, which would be Israel. So what does that mean? God is allowing the Gentile nations, he allows the Antichrist, the beast, to come and actually is thrown as the God of this age to the earth to play havoc with human beings for three and a half years. By the way, two-thirds of the world's population will be blown away during this time as well. It's a lot of people. That's billions of people. You say, do you really believe that stuff? Yeah. (laughs) Because there's a basis to believe that because God's never lied anywhere else. If all of these other things are true, would God come to this point and lie about it? Or maybe Daniel got it wrong. Daniel can't get it wrong because it's the Holy Spirit guarding his writings. This is what we find in Second Peter chapter 1. The Holy Spirit moved these men along. They didn't make mistakes. They didn't write. You know, often I hear people say, 
well, how do I know that Daniel just didn't come up with those things? He couldn't read the text. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were moved along and wrote God's word perfectly. And it says clearly in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, they did not write of their own wishes. How much clearer could that be? So, is it believable? Absolutely. So, God uses Gentile nations. He will use the Antichrist for three and a half years to shatter the nation of Israel, to break their pride, to break them to the point that they say, it is true. The Messiah that we crucified 2,000 years ago from our own perspective and time frame is truly our Lord and Master. He is our King, and we crucified Him. You remember that, basically that day and time when Christ got a hold of your life? You came to the place and you just said, I give up. I surrender. I don't want to live like this anymore. Did you just get smart? No. God just got a hold of you and made you realize how worthless life is without living for the king of the universe. And to know that he died for you and me. Wow, this is, this is a wonderful time to celebrate the birth of our Christ. Because he has the whole world in his hand. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly where he's going with it. And we're tracking with that. Well, let's look at something else here, please, as you follow along there in the text. All these events will be completed. God says, I will allow Hitler to go so far, and then there was an end to Hitler. Who did that? Well, God used the allied forces, I would agree, but God did it. And God has a time, he says, if I did not step in, we learn this from Jesus' word in Matthew 24 and 25, in the Olivet Discourse, if he had not stepped in, man would annihilate himself. And he says that God steps in and says, that's enough. And so after three and a half years, Israel will be so broken that when Christ comes, they will repent. One third. What is left? Those two-thirds will be wiped away. The nation that is left will cry out for their Redeemer. So we have our answer. How long? Three and a half years. Now, let's take this personally. Some of you this morning are probably in a trial, a trial that you would not pray for, you would not desire, you would not want. I understand that. You'd say, how long? Until God accomplishes his purposes in your life. Does that make you a bad person? No. God seemingly does wonderful things. We know that he does during the difficult times. You know, when things are not difficult, it's all about me. Man, I can handle it. (laughs) Anybody can handle the good times. But when life is falling apart, only God can do that. And then we learn, even in the good times, to say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, No, even in the good times, I'm still going to thank you, Lord, because the good times come from you as well as from the bad bad times. So what do we learn here? What we learn is this, folks, and it's very important. I learned that when God brings trials into my life and trials into your life and suffering, however, whatever you want to say, I know there's always an end to it. I don't know how long it will be to it ends. That's not really the issue. I just want to know it ends. And it always does. Always. Always. 
Nobody's able to cry out to God and said, when's it all going to end? And God says, I don't know. Well, he wouldn't be God. But sometimes we think like that and we say, oh, Father, how long? I can't take it another day. God says, yes, you can. And you will know when it's done because it will end by the hand of God. That's the secret. But he lets us know that it will end. Can we not praise God that he is a God that ends it? I think so. In Daniel chapter 12 and verses 8 through 13, but what's the accomplishment? I mean, do we just suffer for no reason than to suffer? Does God get some great joy out of just letting us suffer and cry out to him? That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. But it makes a lot of sense if we do it and listen carefully. Verse 8. Daniel has a question now. As for me, I, Daniel, heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord... What will be the outcome of these events? What will be the outcome of Israel's tribulation and suffering? He's not asking how long will the persecution last, because he has his answer. But probably a more important question is, what is going to be accomplished by allowing the nations of the world to persecute Israel? Verse 9, he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed. Make a scroll, rolled up book we would call it, like a paper towel. Make a scroll secure by placing a wax seal upon it. That's how they did it in those days. And you had to have the authority to take the seal off. Remember in the book of Revelation, John asked, who can what? Open up the book? Only the one with the authority of the seal. And who was it? Christ. Yeah, there you go. Now then, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up. (laughs) Daniel, I'm not going to tell you anymore until the end time. And at the end time, those in the end time will know. Verse 10, many will be purged. Just simply means that through the persecution... Daniel, I'm not going to tell you any more, but I will tell you this. What's going to be accomplished is that many, reference to the nation, will be purged. They will give evidence of purity. They will give evidence of change. The reason why we follow the Lord in baptism as a command doesn't save us, doesn't add to our salvation, doesn't give us any favor to God. It's just an act of obedience because we proclaim that God is changing me. And it's a wonderful thing. Pray for me. (laughs) Because God has placed his love upon me and he's going to change my life and he's going to change it. Doesn't he say that the trial of your faith is much more precious than of what? Fine gold. (laughs) I often say to some of the people I'm ministering to who begin to whine about suffering like I do sometimes. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal with you. If you'll give me a million dollars, I'll get rid of your trial. I'll really pray for you. Or you can keep the trial and be more like Christ. Which do you want? Normally, high percentage of people say, 
Hmm, that's a tough one. <laughs> Let me think about this. Well, yeah, obviously I want to be more like Christ. Yeah, it's a good answer. It's a good answer. Isn't God smart? Wow. So many will be purged and purified and refined. That's God's purpose. God's purpose is saying, Daniel, I'm not going to give you any more details, but I will tell you what the purpose of it is. And the purpose is I want to refine Israel. I want to purify them. I want to change them where they'll no longer reject me, but they will accept me and they will be a light to all the world for a thousand years. I'm Gentile, but I say, thank you, Lord. It's going to be wonderful. It's not all about America. It's about Israel. But he has some bad news, too, because he uses a connector here that's contrast. But there will be those who are wicked, who will act wickedly, and they will not change. So Paul was right when he wrote to Timothy in his second letter and said, things in the end times will become worse and worse and worse. That is true. We have no idea how bad it's going to be. Isn't it interesting? My father used to say, son, I don't know what you're going to do when you become a man. Things are so bad. (laughs) Now I'm beginning as a grandfather to say, wow, hey, guys, grandsons, granddaughters, wow, you're looking for some really difficult times. And they are. That's true. It's going to become worse and what? Worse. That is true. There's no turning it around. And so he says here that the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight like you and I who have been redeemed, will understand. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, remember Jesus' remark in Matthew 24 and 25, that in the midst of the week, the abomination of desolation, when the false prophet comes in and sets up an image of the beast, of the Antichrist, and all are to fall down and worship the image. You see... What has happened here is the Antichrist, before the beginning of the tribulation, has signed a seven-year covenant with Israel. I will protect you. And Israel's going to fall for that. I'm going to protect you. And what we learn from Scripture is, for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there is a, it looks like peace. And then getting close to the midst of that seven-year period, the nations begin to rumble like they always do. And we discussed that last week. You have the movement of the northern nations, the movement of the southern nations, the two million army that comes out of the far east, and they clash. And then God throws Satan, actually the God of this age, Satan, God thrust to the earth to wreck his havoc. Satan among us. Wow. And in the midst of that, the beast walks into the tribulation temple in Jerusalem and says, I am God. If you do not take the mark of my image, the mark of the beast, you will die. And you cannot buy nor sell without the mark. You say, you really believe that? Has God lied to us anywhere else? No. No. Do you believe that? Yes. 
Absolutely. And so that begins the marking of time for the, for the next three and a half years, which in the calendar of that day was 1260 days. Now watch this. But Daniel was given information here about 1290. That's 30 more days. This is what God says. In verse 11, from that time, the regular sacrifice that's been going on in the temple will be abolished by the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation because he sacrifices a pig on the altar so there's no more sacrifices going on because it's been desecrated. And it says that's when the clock begins for 1290 days. It goes to 1260. Here comes the return of Christ to the earth and there are 30 more days. What are those 30 more days? And then in verse 12 he says, How blessed though is the one who keeps waiting and attains the 1,335 days. That's 45 more days beyond the extra 30 days. And blessed are those who wait those extra 75 days. Why? Well, perhaps Revelation 20 gives us a clue. In Revelation 20 and verses 4 through 6, then John says, I saw thrones. This is the apostle John writing. And they sat on them and judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Now watch this. How will people, how will a lot of people die in the tribulation hour? They will be beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Those are the ones who said, I don't care what you do to me. I will not disgrace my God. And they will be martyred. Same as people are being martyred around the world today. Again, some of you have heard this many times. But let's always be reminded. There have been more people martyred in the 20th century than all of the centuries before put together. You just don't hear about it anymore. Some of you heard on Fox News Radio yesterday as Neil and I were traveling. They were beginning to question why in northern Africa is there so much persecution of Christians? Why does not the United States and the big powers speak out against this atrocity? It was interesting. They had no answer for it other than, here's the quote, it isn't important. Now, this is the beginning of the wave. The Bible is not important, so get it out of our educational system. It's not important in our culture. We can just, regardless of what God says, homosexuality is fine. And our culture is going that way and just wiping things away. There's a cost to that. as there's a cost to all rebellion against God. And so we find here in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Oh, wow, God told us something here that we never had seen in Scripture before. There is not a general re- resurrection as 
appears in John 5. It only appears that, but with progressive revelation in John writing in the last of the first century, probably around 95 A.D., God reveals to him, hey, there, there is a resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the unrighteous, and there's a thousand years between those resurrections. Wow. Daniel didn't know that. But you and I do. In verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. That's you and me. And actually, there's three parts to that. There's the resurrection of Christ. There's the resurrection of the church saints. And there's the resurrection of the tribulation saints. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. My friend, I believe with all my heart that is literal. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to reign. Are you? I'm ready to reign. Well, let's finish it up. Daniel chapter 12, verse 13. But the angel says, But as for you, in reference to Daniel, Daniel, go your way to the end, that is a reference to the end of his life. Then you will enter into rest, physical death, but you will rise again, as everyone will whether a believer or not. You will rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. You will rise again for your reward. Wow. Well, we see that proven in Isaiah 26 in verses 19 through 21. Look what Isaiah says about this. Talking to Israel, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust... You see, Isaiah is writing to encourage the, uh, the Jewish people who are under persecution. He says, you who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms, close your doors behind you, hide for a little while until the indignation runs its course. Parallels with Daniel in the end times. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything. In the end, God settles all accounts. And you know, when I was 27, I thought, I got away with that. And I'm going to get away with this. I don't do this church thing. You know, wife, gather up the three kids and go have fun at church. I'm going to the golf course. And I had word about the tail. No cares. Really. Life was great. Blind, but great. And then God walks in and shows me how blind, how ignorant I was to reject the finer things of life. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, my creator, a relationship with my wife, and a relationship with my children. Now, I didn't do that. I'm blind. I'm spiritually ignorant. I can't see it. And God walks in and says, let me lift the blinders from your eyes. And I was horrified. Ready to lose my marriage. Ready to lose everything. And I thought I had it all together. That's how blind we are, folks, without God. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many boozing friends you have. Or non-boozing friends you have. Wow. It's like running a car on half the cylinders. You're moving. <laughs> There's a lot of noise, and you're not moving very well. You're just blinded to it. 
Well, that's what God was saying in verse 21. For behold, the Lord is about to come from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. Wow. There's a little slide I want to give you, and I, I placed this in because I know many of you don't have 2020 vision this far away. Um, but I put it in your notes. It's something we've worked on here for a number of years, and it's kind of in progress. And I know it's really, it's what we call very crowded, <laughs> a lot of info there. But if you're interested and take time to really, God is very precise on when the resurrections are and who is being resurrected at that time and where they're going. And uh, there is a resurrection. You and I as believers will be resurrected. I personally believe the support of Scripture is that we'll be resurrected before the tribulation. That's my personal opinion. There are other good opinions. One thing for sure is when Christ comes the second time, seven years after the rapture, I know we're going to be up <laughs> and we're going to be with him. Immediately after that, you have the 35 days and 45 days. Probably the 35 days from Matthew 24 and 25 is the opportunity for Christ to do the judgment of the nations between the sheep and the goat. You remember that in Matthew 25. An extra 45 days to get the uh, carnage all cleaned up from the time Christ comes. You remember you got the armies from the west, the armies from the east, they're way over two million in size, and Christ, by the spoken word, slays the nations of the world. That's a lot of dead bodies. And so during that time, he's setting up his millennial kingdom. You'd say, well, couldn't he just do it like that? Well, sure he could, but you and I can't. <laughs> we move a rather a little slower. And so we will get ready to rule and reign with Christ. And this is how the book ends. What a great book. There is so much prophecy in the Old Testament. Sometimes people miss because they think that the only prophecy is given is in the book of Revelation. As we said in the beginning, without a decent understanding of the book of Daniel, there's really no hope to understanding the book of Revelation. It'll be very confusing. But Daniel helps us with that. I trust that these uh, months that we've been together in this book have been an encouragement to your life. It's... Um, it's the second time that we've gone through the book in my almost 38 years here, and this has been a wonderful trip for me as well. Thank you for your patience. Let me leave you as you go forth today and ready for uh, the Christmas days with three lessons to live. Three lessons to live. I used to say here are three lessons to learn, but, you know, I can learn things, but you never use it, Right? My wife tells me that all the time. You know these things, but you don't use it. <laughs> okay. So I've changed a little bit. Application is the things that we should not only know, but we should what? Live. That's the purpose of knowing is to live it. Number one is this. Focus on what God has revealed to be known, not on things God has not revealed. Now, for some of you, that simply means don't spend the rest of your life trying to study out prophecy about things God hasn't revealed. Well, what are we going to do in heaven? Well, you have a, a basic concept, and that's it. Unless you listen to music, and then you can find all things about heaven. But they're probably not true. But anyway, uh, what, whatever you desire there. Look at the Bible. Okay. The things that he has revealed spend your life saying, Lord, I pray, help me understand what you have revealed to me. I will trust you for the things that you have. Number two. 
Our trials will not be one day longer than God has purposed. I hope that's a comfort. It will not be one day longer than God has purposed. Now, the downside to that, if there is a downside, is it won't be one day shorter either. You say, well, I'm going to pray and go to church and shorten it up. It doesn't work, my friend. That's a fantasy. That's like when mom says that cleanliness is next to godliness. It's a nice saying, but it's just not in Scripture. But you don't want to stink either. So anyway, be that as it may. All right, number three. God has purposed our trials to enlarge our capacity to know him. God brings us our trials to teach us to rest in him. He knows the pain. How many times did our mothers say to us, I know it hurts. I know you have a cold. I know the tooth hurts. It'll be okay. And you know what? I believed that. And the testimony today, it turned out okay. I survived. I survived the measles. I survived the mumps. I survived a lot of things. It's true. <laughs> and God so much more than our parents. Well, my friends, <laughs> we would not honor God if we left today without worship. What is worship? Whether you're saved or unsaved, God tells us we're always worshiping. Worshiping is nothing more, and very importantly, it's a response. It's how I'm responding to God. So for 27 years of my life, did I in one way worship God? Yes, get out of my life. I don't want you now. But if I get cancer... I'll let you know. It's really dumb, isn't it? It's selfish. It's self-centered. Response, worship is my response to God for who He is. Who do I believe He is? And it can't be according to my church traditions. It can't be to what I think God ought to be. It is who God is revealed in His Word, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. So my worship is, Lord, I just want to tell you who I know you to be, who you have been for me, what you are doing today, and Lord, I'm trusting you for the rest of my life. My friends, that is biblical worship. We don't have to have goosebumps. It's okay if you do, but you don't have to have them to worship. Don't walk away from here today and say, wow. The message was dry, but man, the worship was good. That's nonsense. Message may have been dry. But music is not worship. And listening to a message is not worship. It's response. My personal response to God. And maybe you're here this morning without Christ. Oh, my friend. Could I just quote something from God? Would that be a help? Acts 20, verse 21. God says this to you. You'd say, what should I know as an unbeliever? I command you. I don't invite you. I command you to repent toward God and place your faith in Christ. That's what he says. Acts 20, 21. I command you. Obey. Right where you're seated. Right where you're sitting today. Obey. God, I see. I want you more than anything else. I give you my life. I believe that Christ died, was buried, and rose the third day. I believe he's the Savior of the world. I believe you will forgive me of all of my sins and you will change my life and you will help me to see really what life you created it to be. That's salvation. What a wonderful Lord we have. Let's pray.
Father. There's many things that busy our minds during this time of year. And that's okay. As long as, Father, we do not become so busy that we forget why we celebrate the Christmas Day. And Father, I know I'm susceptible to do that. I get so busy wanting the grandkids to have a great time to play in the snow and to watch them take, open their presents and to laugh. And, and yet, Father, we are called to be reminded these things are great. We should do that. But we should not forget to say, God, if it were not for you, there would not be laughter in my home. There would not be the right kind of laughter. There would not be the praise that ought to be. And so, Father, I pray for that one today that may have walked in. Lord, just it's Christmas time, and we're thankful for that. But, Lord, perhaps your spirit has opened up their heart and said, My, I'm wasting my life. And there is something better, and it's free. Yes, I want to surrender my life to Christ. May they do that right where they are seated, Father. May they speak from their heart to yours. And Lord, for us who are believers, may we continue to look at suffering as that which accomplishes righteousness in our lives, even through the pain, even through the disappointments. And thank you for loving us, that it works this way, that we must depend upon you. And Lord, we want to stretch our spiritual muscles so that when we arrive in heaven, when we see you, we will have a great capacity to worship you throughout all ages. Oh, Father, there is nothing that tops that. Nothing in this universe. And so, Father, as we pause just for a moment to allow each individual an opportunity to say, God, this is what I think of you, I know you will hear their response. And so, Lord, for these next few seconds of silence, may these quiet hearts bring praise to you. Father, thank you for your work. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for in that day we will be with you. May we be found faithful and committed, regardless of the circumstances. For Christ's sake, we praise you. Amen.